The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Rebel Podcast, everyone's favorite podcast on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. P Nate, Pooty. I don't know if that's true, but I'm saying it is. Um, Fair enough. It's a big shout with no backing, but I'm fine with it. P Nate, Elder P, AJ, Wetsy, Garage Mahal. How you doing today, guys? Doing great. Doing yeah, well. ready to talk more weird stuff. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm ready to talk less though, because I feel like the last couple episodes have been mostly just me talking with some nods in the background. So we did get a lot of feedback that people want to hear Jordan more. Okay, um, there you go. Which I took personal offense too, but I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just you dragged him all the way there. Just let the guy talk. Let, let, here, that's the problem with just us in general, though. Like we're both big talkers. Yeah. So like it's hard for a third person to get words in. That's fair. Um, That's fair. So it's true. It's, it's true. Okay. It's all, all of it. That's like, enough, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> and that's enough of that. Woman, be silent. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, uh, I get you back for the most Petronas yeah, question. Right. Like, yeah. for, was that last week or the week, two weeks ago? I can't remember. Cheap. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know nothing about stuff like Pokemon, but like Pikachu is the no, only Reba name Cheap I know. was uh, Chronicle, Chronicles, Chronicles of Narnia. Narnia. Just yeah, yeah. that's. In uh, that Prince Caspian, right? Can I point out I've read that one time and it was yeah. like two years ago? Dude, repent. Like, <laughs> they're so good. <laughs> you, okay, like I, we'll get stuck in in a second, but like how much do you think nostalgia affects how much love you have for something? Because like just straight up, we talked about G.I. Joe a couple weeks ago and like I tried to introduce G.I. Joe to somebody a couple years ago and like they were like, it sucks. And I'm like, you it's the, suck. The problem, like, <laughs> the problem is the animation. They haven't upgraded. You know how um, they've done, I think, the old Ninja Turtles and stuff like that, but they digitally remaster it. The G.I. Joe cartoon from the 80s has not been digitally remastered, as far as I understand. So when you go and you look at them on YouTube and stuff, they're just, they're awful. It's hard to believe that that's how we used to watch TV, but yeah. Unfortunate. Yeah. Come on, Hasbro. So I, think that's, I think that's part of it, but... Yeah, Hasbro is actually really disappointing because I actually think G.I. Joe is a is a phenomenal story. And like you said it last week, and I've been thinking about it ever since, is that the cartoons when we were kids were way better. And like it is hard. It's hard. Like Jordan, you got young kids as well. Like it's hard to introduce your kids to good shows, right? There's good books. I think Cannonball Books is doing a really good job. There's some really good stuff. Right? Our kids really like uh, audiobooks and stuff like that. But like there's no good cartoons. Like, like you said, there's Pokemon. There's... I mean, Paw Patrol isn't terrible, but I mean, I watched uh, my but, youngest but daughter. But an eight-year-old isn't going to watch Paw Patrol. Right. So like, anyway, back when we were kids, even the younger stuff like Darkwing Duck was infinitely superior to what they have nowadays. And then some of the older ones like G.I. Joe, Ninja Turtles, they were phenomenal. Darkwing Duck. Transformers. So good. Yeah, so I good. agree. Like, yeah. 
the terror that flaps in the night. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. It's, uh, it's so good. Yeah. I all of a sudden the theme is in my brain now, and that's all I want to yeah. do. But then I also all of a sudden immediately went to the best cartoon theme of all time, which is Tailspin. Tailspin was really good. Yes, that's the one. Oh, okay, yeah. Great job. I, I, I was speechless because I was like, you actually got it. Like, yeah, I did. Um, have, you ever, have you seen that Rescue real Rangers? Where, <laughs> Come on. You remember Rescue Rangers? I do remember. Yeah. If somebody can help me out here, there was a cartoon that was on, I think it was like right before or right after Darkwing Duck, before Tailspin took over. And it was like basically like an outer space, like mech like cartoon where it was like there was like this war going on with alien races and like the humans and they were losing all the time and they like built these like mech things that they had to fight in and it was a cartoon and I was like I remember watching and thinking every episode was awesome but like I was also like 10 and so like so was it really awesome or exo, it was exoskeleton yeah. exo like something and I was just like I you think I could find this thing? Mm. That's, no. That's like, okay, so I was trying to convince somebody the other day that there was a, and I don't know if it was an offshoot of Transformers, but you remember there was a show where there was like a band of heroes. It's almost like this was the building blocks for Power Rangers or something like that. But they were like these heroes that rode in like different colored saber-toothed tiger yes. mech bots. Yes, Thundercats. Is that what it's called? I believe that's Thundercats. Okay. Because then they, they all like connected into one giant Thundercat. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's almost the precursor for Power Rangers, Dude, right? Thundercats was awesome. I got okay. one Christmas, I got all five of them. One thing, like I grew wow. up poor, but like toys were something my parents, like my mom and my grandma did very New, well. or did they find them like used and stuff? My uh, parents usually, always got think, us the toys, but it was always like hand-me-downs from people. They were just really good at like finding stuff to buy off people. And like, so I always had the toys. I just always got them used. I'm fairly confident most of them were new. I always had like the figures. I never had like the bases. So like uh, I know I always got like the, the yeah, I have that all was, the figures. That was, that but I like me too. Everybody's like, oh, I had the Millennium Falcon. People like, don't know this about Chris and I. We, we grew up poor. And so we often. Um, we compare we, stories. We, we often compare stories about like wearing Brooks <laughs> instead of Nike. And like, it's like there have been times with like, because our wives are sisters and, and they grew up a little bit more affluent, we'll say. So it would often be like, what was that uh, clothing company? And we're like, oh yeah, Brooks. And they're like, Brooks wasn't a thing. And then of course you look it up and it was like the discount version of like, so it was like the Zellers version of Nike or something. But you and <laughs> I know him. <laughs> of course I had Brooks. To this day, I've never owned a pair of Nike shoes. Never. That's Not unfortunate. Like, like that was like the first thing I did when I started working is I went out and bought myself some Nike shoes because when I was a kid, I never got the Nikes. I always had the black Brooks that scuffed up the gym floor. <laughs> I was that kid. So was I. Oh, so man. I. feel terrible. Uh, that, All right, let's get into this. Sorry. Stuff I, like, we, yeah, we go so Now that I'm depressed, um, <laughs> let's talk about some more depressing things. We got a question a few weeks ago about... Aliens and UFOs. And so, all right, I'm just going to throw it out there. What do you guys think is happening with alien abductions, UFOs, legit, not legit, demons? Have at it, Jordan. Oh, throwing it at me. Uh, <laughs> all right. Easy, easy, easy. Yeah. Well, I think at least my understanding of like biblical cosmology, I think God has created the earth specially, specifically for yep. humanity. So I don't think there are some extraterrestrial off of Earth outside of the firmament type beings that are coming here on their shiny spaceships. I don't think that, <laughs> Chinese right? I don't think that's I'm what with it you, is. I'm with you, yeah. And so I think these encounters people have, I think are just likely demonic. And then it's interesting where you do see in different places around the world where there's a heightened level of occultism and paganism and rejection of the gospel in Christ you're having an increased number of these reported sightings and experiences. 
So I would understand that to be some demonic being presenting themselves in some way to humanity. I mean, it's interesting because again, we immediately want to reject anything like that, but we do have to ask, and you've brought this up a few times, is just like our underlying assumptions and we, we have bought into more of materialism and evolution so that we don't want to think of anything supernatural or there being anything up in the sky that could be some being. But I think there are too many accounts from too many people having similar experiences to completely disregard them as being just made up by crazy people. Yeah, I agree. And I think one of the themes you'll find, I I think, in this episode, because Chris kind of let us know what some of the questions are that came in. And a lot of there's going to be a similar answer here in a lot of these things is like, some of the crazy, weird fringe stuff that most materialists in the world, right, would just dismiss and say you're crazy for even thinking that. What you have to take into account is the cross-cultural aspect of some of these stories, as well as the differences in time. So when, when it comes to things like vampires, when it comes to things like UFOs, when it comes to things like aliens, you have similar stories that take place hundreds of years apart thousands of miles apart in different parts of the world, some poor people, some rich people, some credible witnesses, some non-credible witnesses, all that kind of stuff. And I think it's hard to explain away all of it. It's hard to chalk it all up. So I think what most people, when they say something like, oh, there's, you know, there's no, no such thing as UFOs, there's no such thing as Bigfoot or whatever, what they don't understand that they're doing, because they haven't actually delved into this, is they're not understanding the absolute mountain of personal eyewitness testimonies that are being accounted for here. And we're not talking about like modern people who want to be famous. We're talking about years ago. Like we're talking about captain's ship logs in the U.S. Navy going back a couple hundred years ago where they are writing to the president of the United States or the heads of states of of the pre-colonial time where they are talking about sea monsters and dragons. We're talking about like actual letters to kings about undead corpses that have come back to life and are terrorizing. Like, I I just don't think people understand this. This isn't just a bunch of people who want to get famous and go on a talk show. Like we're talking about hundreds of years of credible eyewitness uh, accounts of recognized men and women. So I just say that to say, I I think people are are too quick to be dismissive of of the mountain of of eyewitness testimonies. So So when it comes to UFOs, I would say, uh, I agree with Jordan. I think that this world is unique. I think that God created humanity. He created the heavens and the earth and he inhabited the earth with humanity. I don't think that there are aliens. I don't think that there are extraterrestrials. I don't think anybody, there are Martians who live on Mars. But what I do think is that throughout history, you do have these malevolent spiritual beings who are revealing themselves in different ways at different times. And I think quite frankly, what is the goal of a demon? The goal of the demons are to bring as many people to hell with them, essentially, right? They hate the image of God. They attack the image of God. They're trying to terrorize us. They're trying to ultimately damn us in any way that they can. And so they can keep us afraid. They can undermine the biblical worldview by having us believe in extraterrestrials, all that kind of stuff. So I just think you have demons and sometimes they appear as spiritual forces, as poltergeists, as whatever. But I think to a modern materialistic world, it's far easier. We talked about this a couple episodes ago where you have a guy like Richard Dawkins who won't believe in a creator who created the world, but he will believe in a higher alien being that would plant the building blocks of life on earth millions and billions of years ago. And you're like, why is that 
science fiction okay, but you know, faith is not okay. So I think if these demons were to reveal themselves, we talked about how some of the ancient mythologies of various people are that there are giants and serpentine beings, spiritual entities that come to these civilizations and exchange civilizational knowledge for the exchange of worship. If a spiritual being revealed itself in the materialistic North America right now, you would have a bunch of materialists suddenly forced with the reality that the material world isn't all there is. But if they appear to them as UFOs, as aliens, well, now they can still keep their materialistic mindset and yet still have, if a demon was going to come to the earth and demand worship and rulership, how is he going to come? Well, I would imagine now he's going to come as an alien, right? In, in some sort of higher tech, more powerful thing that would make everybody go, oh, okay, we should. So I think, and, and interesting, there's a, there's a couple of books that talk about this. The one that I read a number of years ago is called UFOs in the Occult, and it's written by George Hunt Williamson. What's interesting there is that if you actually read, if you actually look at uh, some of the, the actual investigation notes and you start correlating some of these stories What's incredible is that, and I'm going to butcher the number. I'm just going to throw it out there because I know it was higher than 70%. It was 70-something percent. So I've, well, let's I've read just this say, too. It's, yeah, it's, it's, let's just high. say 70%. 70% of those who have claimed alien abduction have a known, admitted history with the occult. That's interesting, right? So, And this isn't just like people who have cited UFOs. This is people who are actually claiming alien abduction, and they have that history with the occult. Any investigator who's not a materialist would look at that and say, okay, there's something worth investigating here. But because so many law enforcement and stuff are materialists, they, they don't go further than that. But that's a huge stat. What do I think of UFOs? I think that they are demonic. I think that they are demons. And I think that they are ways of keeping people focused and uh, undermining the Christian worldview yeah. well, I, I also, and terrorizing people. I, I also think it's interesting because I've heard a lot of people ask the question, like, why right now? I mean, the U.S. government is talking about yeah. aliens and UFO sightings. So it's interesting in, in perpetuating the, the lie of uh, humanism, of materialism. Again, when you see in other cultures around the world where these alien UFO sightings are where there's like the occultic practices and like overt paganism. Well, we're seeing that on display yeah. in North America right now. So it's interesting how you then have an increased number of these sightings. And so then the, the government and whoever the powers that be are wanting to just explain that in a materialistic way, right. whereas what we're seeing is just an, like a, an increase of demonic activity. So it's just interesting how coinciding with our world falling more and more into paganism, we're seeing this increase of UFO sightings where they're actually trying to own it and like control the story or the, the narrative. Yeah, I, I see it, it. The alien one's interesting to me because I grew up terrified of aliens. So like oh, really? when I was a young lad, uh, because like <laughs> I didn't grow up in a Christian home, right? So like... Yeah. I used to spend my summers on a farm and like, I have some stories that are kind of unexplainable from like things that happen on the farm. Like at the time to me, like it had to be like extraterrestrials that thinking back now, I'm like, no, it's like somebody left the light on, you know what I mean? Like stuff like that. But this was one of those things when I first got saved, I had to wrestle with like the idea mm -hmm. of like, okay, well, what do I think about aliens and demons? And oddly enough, a guy who I don't recommend often, but Billy Graham has a book on this. And he has a book, yeah, it's, called, does, it's, it's called Angels. And basically the, the premise of that book is like, and I think this is what we're saying, is like these encounters that people have are, generally speaking, they're seeing into the unseen realm. Right? right. They're seeing something that for some reason, at some time, whether it's psychedelics, whether it's they've dabbled in the occult, because I actually have read that book too, about like the, most people who claim alien abductions have some of these, these things. 
And like some of this does explain like the fire in the sky encounter where they, the guys disappear for five days and all their stories line up because like they encountered something that they can't, their minds can't explain. So they interpret it as alien when it's actually just satanic. Like it's just right. demons. And what's interesting is like one of the big tipping points for me is that there's no documented history of anybody claiming aliens prior to us actually going to space. And so like once that became a thing that we could actually interpret like, oh, we can actually go there, then all of a sudden aliens are coming into into our world. Mm. Whereas before it was always just some higher demon being. And when you, you were talking about earlier, Nate, about like, isn't it interesting that like we just naturally put ourselves as lower than the aliens? There's no there's never a scenario where it's like somebody got abducted by aliens that actually are less advanced than us, right. that they're not Right, they, more scared, like, yeah, like, they got taken onto the pirate ship of a, you know, of an alien yeah. cruiser. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, it's always higher technologically like and, the, and and more advanced and more powerful yeah. and yeah, all that. Nobody's being abducted by the Ewoks, like or Marvin the Martian, right? <laughs> it's always, but it's always something greater that, yeah. than that. And I think like we have a tendency to. Because some lunatic, the 20% or the 30% who are actually just crazy and, and want attention, we take their stories to apply that to everybody else where it's like, no, no, you actually do have to reconcile with the doctor and the otherwise normal yeah. rational person who also claims yeah. that they've seen these things. I'd also say like sometimes what we see in the sky is literally stuff the government just has to tell us about. They can't be like, we're testing a new bomber and we're going to fly it over like Michigan. And it's got some crazy lights so it doesn't crash. But we don't want the Russians and the Chinese to know, so therefore pretend it's a UFO. You know what I mean? Like, it's just little things like that where I'm like, if we piece it all together, I just think simply it's people seeing into the unseen realm. Yeah. If our presupposition is that that's a real thing, then of course people are going to see into it at some point, right? Like, I'd be curious to hear how many people who have had experience are under some form of psychedelics or mind-altering yeah. substance. Because, I mean, 15 years ago when I was not a believer under the influence of chemicals— I had an experience that it's only really in going through this kind of learning about all this and understanding where I can look back and be like, oh, that was a totally demonic thing where I just kind of, the only thing I can liken it to is if you're a Stranger Things fan, like the upside down and like the world just looked different. And now like when I look back on it, it's like, I think I opened myself to experiencing a reality or something that I'm not supposed to. Right. And it was just so dark and terrifying. And I mean, that was because I sinfully caused harm to myself right. and opened myself up to that. So I think there's something yeah. about that where you're almost like peeking behind a veil that you're not supposed to. Right. Yeah. That you're not supposed to have access to. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's kind of like what we were talking about last week with permission, right? Yeah. Like, and like flirting with the dangers you by taking psychedelics or whatever you're taking encountered something that you were, God was shielding you from seeing yeah. otherwise, but you're not, you weren't his yet. You know what I mean? So like, therefore you're, you've given permit, you flirted with that. And all of a sudden now you see something you probably shouldn't have seen well and there's yeah. so many people like what's it called astral planning yeah all these different people Is taking that the physical realm where xavier fights <laughs> where xavier and magneto nice reference well done but yeah there's just all these people who have taken psychedelics and like they go through certain things that they do in order to like enter this other realm but again it's that it sounds crazy but then you have all these people completely disconnected, sharing similar experiences, yeah. communicating with similar 
beings. It seems like there's something that you can do in well, order to and linking this to back to the idea of like witchcraft in scripture, which is prohibited. All of these things, divination, occultism, witchcraft, wizardry, necromancy, these are all prohibited things in God's law, which which suggests that they are real things that have power that God does not want you to access. You go historically, and there are witches in every culture of every time, and they have concoctions that they would drink or have other somebody else drink in order to commune with the dead and to commune with the spirits. And so the idea that the drug culture wouldn't have been influenced by these occultic practices, talk about, again, credible witnesses. What's, uh, oh man, I'm, I, I totally just drew a blank, uh, Green Bay quarterback. Um, Aaron Rodgers? Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, yeah, no, no, Aaron Rodgers, he has gone on. Like, there was entire seasons where he would not be in the locker room alone because he took these mind-altering drugs when he went down to, I think, Peru or somewhere in South America and had an encounter with dark demonic spirits that were terrorizing him. He had these experiences even after coming out of his hallucinogenic trip. And so you have these people who are just like, oh, yeah, no, I was terrified. Like, and he, I don't know if he has the language to describe what happened to him. But it's interesting when you read him talking about, like, literally his teammates know he was scared to be in the locker room alone. You couldn't leave Aaron Rodgers alone for a while because for a couple of years he was terrorized by what happened to him when he was taking these hallucinogenic drugs that were native to Peru and the, and the people when, wherever he, it was that he traveled. But you have, like, even, like, guys like Joe Rogan and even, so interestingly, it's Hume the philosopher, he says that he received the philosophies that he wrote down for the world from a spiritual entity that he found in meditation named Philemon. These things, meditations and hallucinogenic drugs, I mean, these are all part of what the Old Testament covers under the broad term witchcraft and divination, and they are giving access to things and giving you access to things that God is forbidding. Yeah. So, and that's kind of what I was getting about. Like throughout history, there's examples of this all over. That like they find hieroglyphics of something that looks like what we would call an alien today yeah. in in like a cave in in Mexico, but our brains can interpret it until we give a category for that. So like right. in today's culture, where it's all technological, like we think we're the advanced, it becomes an extraterrestrial. Techno- yeah. like where it's like we're. In the 1800s, they would have just been like, oh, that's a demon god. But think about even the old Mothman prophecies, right? If you think of like the Mothman, you think of like what he looked like, right? This winged, large creature with a giant head and glowing eyes. That's not unlike some of the descriptions you have now of aliens, right? So like, again, like you said, the people are always going to create stories out of their own culture. And so we live in a culture now that technologizes, technological, I'm just going to use the word, everything. And so what we normally talked about as malevolent evil spirits have now just become these, we describe them as aliens because it's more socially acceptable. It's even interesting when you think of like Marvin the Martian and even like when we think of an alien, green serpentine-like being. So it's even kind of interesting how as we're talking about these celestials who are these serpentine beings that is also how most people would probably think of an alien as being this kind of lizard like lizard green weird looking thing which is kind of interesting physically not that strong but like mentally capable of things that we can't right process yeah it's very 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 interesting Um, and even the facade of omniscience right like when it comes to like telepathy and things like that right like oftentimes that's associated with alien beings well, if you're if you're thinking of these ancient, undying, you know, celestial mm-hmm. beings that have studied humanity for years, they might feel as though they can read your thoughts, but they can't actually. It's just because they can observe you in the invisible, right? They observe you when you don't see them there. That you know, anyway. Yeah. Interesting, you brought that up because like 
another podcast, I can't remember what it was, talked about like interviewed somebody who like claims to have done like 30 exorcisms or whatever. And one of the questions they asked this priest is how do you differentiate between a real demon possession and somebody who's just faking it or somebody who like is just afflicted. And one of the things he actually says is that demons can talk in all different languages because they know all the languages, but they also will highlight things that you have done in times that nobody else was able to observe you. Right. They could read your thoughts, but like, no, no, they just know you better than like, yeah. than like we often say, how many times have you heard this? Like human communications, 90% body language. Yeah. So like if you're attuned to like, observing yeah. your uh, for 6,000 years. Exactly. Yeah. Like think of our, our spouses. I can generally tell how Heather's thinking or feeling based on just looking at her in a situation. And you guys can probably all do the same things. Like other than a good friend yeah, of we ours. We can all read Heather's facial expression. <laughs> <laughs> but like, like I don't hide things very well in yeah. my body language, like to a point where like our good friend Johnny's always like, I can tell when Chris is like getting agitated just by the way he moves. You yeah. know what I mean? Like think of it. If you had the ability to observe when no one's watching, like, and like, how much could you pretend you think you know about mm-hmm, somebody yeah. just based on all the, all those little things? Well, I mean, that just comes to mind. I even thinking of like a psychic. Yeah. Like is a psychic simply right. just communing with the demonic being that is actually knows you really well. Right. And is able to then, they know about your family. They know about your past. They yeah. know because they've, anyways, that's just like a thought that came to mind. That would explain like one of the questions that we get asked then is what, like, what about fortune tellers? What about yeah. tarot cards and stuff like that? Like, well, are they actually telling a real story? Is it just that the person who's interpreting those cards can read or has access to something that can actually help connect mm-hmm. dots that you would be otherwise like not able to connect? Like, yeah, does yeah. that make sense? So, I mean, and there's scripture warrant for this, right? In the book of Acts, you see Simon the sorcerer, who's a bit of a charlatan, but you also see the young girl who is possessed, it says, by the spirit of a python, which is interesting. And she had two sort of handlers who got really upset when Paul cast the demon, the python, out of her. And that was because they were using the power that the demonic thing that had a hold over her, the power that she could access because of that, they were using that to their advantage. So that shows that even within the book of Acts, there are charlatans who are faking the thing, right? Because Simon didn't actually have the real power, but this young girl with the spirit of the python did. And so there is both in scripture, there's the charlatans who are just taking advantage and pretending to have power. And then there are actual demonic forces that are having real power. And I think we live in a world where both things are true, which is actually also why it's so easy to discount actual occultic magic when you see it, because there are charlatans who are just really good at reading body language and are good at sleight of hand and do whatever, right? So anyway. Well, that goes into even like magicians today. Yeah. Right. Like Like you have, uh, we've talked about this a lot. There's some of those like sleight of hand stuff. You're just quick and you're deceptive and you're you're good at it. Then you got like David Blaine, who's like literally levitating. Right. Over like a crowd of people. Or, or pulling the head off a chicken yeah. or, you know what I mean? Like th- those kinds of things. And, and some of those might be sleight of hand, but I used to really be into, like, I loved watching sleight of hand and magic and all that kind of stuff. And like, there are some of them where you just watch them and you're like, yeah, I'm uncomfortable now. Yeah. Right. There's something where, again, you just get that, that spiritually dark presence and you're like, I'm not into this anymore. I'm not, I'm not doing this. Chris Angel's another one, yeah. right? Where he, those, those are stuff. the two for me that I'm like, I feel like you've crossed a line where it's like, it's, it feels dark. Right. Like, 
Um, I'm and, sure and, there's and, other. Yeah, guys, and I'm not like, saying that definitively. Like much of what we're saying here, this comes from like it, it's like a scriptural sniff test, right? Like some of the stuff that we're talking about is speculation, but we are meant to take biblical wisdom and apply it to the things that are going on in the world around us. So there might be some listeners who are listening to this saying this this all sounds crazy, but this is just three guys who are trying to apply biblical wisdom to make sense of the strange world in which God's placed us. And there are things that are unexplainable. We have to wrestle with the fact that thousands and thousands of people have seen what they view as aliens. Thousands and thousands of people have had encounters with what they deem as Bigfoots. Thousands and thousands of people have had encounters with the medicine man and shadow men and and all these kinds of things. So we have to be able to figure out what's going on here. And what we can't do is merely dismiss because quite frankly, we're all pastors here too. And so some of these people are the people knocking on our doors looking for biblical counseling. And I know of some people who have had encounters with things like this, who have had other pastors just tell them that they're crazy, go get some anti-psychotic drugs and stop bothering me. And I think what we have to recognize is God's placed us in a world that's full of strangeness, high strangeness. It's not material. And we live in an embattled cosmos. And because we live in an embattled cosmos, the veil between uh, the spiritual and the physical gets thin in certain places. I think you said this earlier in the episode is like the almost universal acknowledgement of certain aspects of these stories. Like I think about the boogeyman. You can go to kids in South America, Russia, England, and they'll have similar fairy tale about who the boogeyman is. And interesting, what what does the boogeyman want? He wants to eat your children, which is like, oh, who does that remind us of? It doesn't make sense that a localized, like if this was based on something. It's not a localized myth. This is is cross-culture, cross-time cross people groups, cross languages. And 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 you're right. And and what's interesting is that in some of the eyewitness accounts of some of these various things, there'd be weird little details that are similar. Like yes. like the smell of the mm-hmm. thing. Or you know what I mean? Like something small like that. There's um the, it, you can look at it's I think it's just called the hat man, right? It's like these people who are on psychedelic drugs. So I, I talked about Aaron Rodgers earlier, who they see this shadowy figure right? Who's looking to strangle them, but he's wearing like an old school top hat kind of thing. That's a weird detail that somebody in Argentina and somebody in North America and somebody in France and somebody in Mongolia all came up with. That's no, that's, you know what I mean? Like just little weird things like that. We say this all the time in terms of like reconciling some of the slight differences throughout the gospels. That's right. It's like that actually strengthens the eyewitness testimony because if we were concocting a story, all the details would be exactly the same. That's right. Whereas like it is those subtle little differences that actually give authenticity to the actual story because it's slight little details that do line up, but like are but there's still slightly, a similar thread that runs through yeah. them and similarities amidst different experiences that, that are kind of tailored to the person and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. We got about 15 more minutes, but we did get to ask some of the questions about some of these mythical fairy tale creatures. So I'll throw one out. What's happening with Bigfoot? <laughs> There's lots of theories out there. If you listen to the podcast, Blurry Creatures, you'll hear oftentimes that they'll talk about how in Genesis 6, all flesh was corrupted, not just humanity. And so they would believe that there are some cryptids, right? Some undocumented creatures like Bigfoot that are the result of celestial and animal commingling. I'm not there. That's not what I would say. I think that with a lot of these, my answer is going to be similar. And that is demons, (laughs) right? Like at the end of the day, my answer is going to be that I think that Demons look to terrorize. They are looking to scare and to terrorize, and they hate humanity. They hate humans. They hate us because we are made in the image of God. 
And so I think that when you're in the woods and there's something there that is terrifying you, those demons can take on various forms and they can do various things. And if they know that there is a cultural ethos that they've cultivated over thousands of years, that in this neck of the woods, there have been Bigfoot sightings. In this neck of the woods, there's been alien sightings. In this neck of the woods, there's been witch sightings or whatever. They're going to use that because it creates plausibility in the minds of the person. So I just think it's likely something demonic, I would say. I don't know. Jordan? Like what they're trying to say is that they, because they crossbred with humanity, they can crossbreed with a wolf right. or a bear or right. whatever that would be. I would lean more towards it being demonic and just manifesting itself in a way. But that's something that it's just interesting how when people talk about these like Bigfoot sightings, there's almost never a clear picture. Like it's just, yeah. it's just <laughs> well, interesting. Hence blurry, hence blurry creatures, creatures yeah. where it's just, it's just interesting that you can't find a clear right. documented picture of it or, or video or just coincidentally the video stops or the camera stops working yeah. or so I would be more inclined just to say like likely it's just demonic yeah, yeah. somebody who would have access to like scramble the film like we all have phones right now like like the fact yeah. that this can still happen and we don't get a picture of it unless there's something demonic happening is the thing it should sorry it's a, just off yep. a tangent it's interesting the the Bigfoot Yeti however you want to say it sightings too is that like oftentimes they like there's the Bigfoot terrorizes. And then you also hear like almost equal amount of yeah, like it saves. Of, of it saves. And it's like, so like if we're saying that that's actually just an angel, either a fallen one or interfering, so to speak on the set, like some of the credit credits could be like, well, people who aren't saved need a way to like cognitively explain what they've then seen. Right. And so like, if you, all of a sudden we're miraculously saved in a way that you can't explain yeah. maybe Bigfoot because you're like, Oh, that, that like all of a sudden it's like, and again, like there's no verifiable. Well, thing, and, but and think about it this way. Some of these celestial beings, these demons that went to ancient peoples and gave them civilization building blocks, they, they gave them knowledge of how to cultivate crops and, and uh, crossbreed animals and seeds and, and all this kind of stuff. So it's like, well, I thought, wait, hold on a sec. I thought these were malevolent beings. They seem to be helping people. Well, yeah, because I think demons are also playing the long game. I counseled a young man one time who, as a young man, was very lonely and isolated and prayed, wasn't a believer, and yet prayed to whatever powers there were out there for a friend. And he was visited by what he would later come to understand as a demonic being that eventually also did some abusive things to him. But but it was the, the prayer for a friend that was answered and this thing was friendly with him for a while. And so I, I just look at those kinds of things and you're like, these demons are playing the long game. If they can make you believe that they are angels of light, right, to use biblical language, as opposed to the demons that they actually are, it, it only works out for their advantage, right? If they can hook your family by giving your family wealth and riches, but this family has a dark secret that it happened because they, you know, sacrificed their firstborn kid to, you know, I look at that stuff. There's too many mythologies, too many stories that are overlapping in these kinds of things that uh, it's not all coincidence. Yeah. Let's go through another one then. Okay. The vampire. Vampires. <laughs> vampires, yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of interesting things happening with vampires. It's interesting to me that the mythology of vampires are people who look human, but it's very evident that they're not. What does that sound like? The yep. demons. They walk in darkness only, not in the light. So first John, right? It, they walk in darkness, not, not, not in the light. What kills them is a wooden stake that goes through their heart. Interesting. They're, they're similar kind of like idea of like a wooden stake being driven in at Golgotha. And then crucifixes. 
And obviously, like, there's other stuff, the garlic and all that stuff. But I'm just like, it's interesting how the mythology of vampires, again, seems universal, but also seems to be like, there seems to be some substance to that idea, even to the point where they're, they're rebelling against God's law, like don't eat food with blood in it. And then what do vampires live specifically on? The only thing they can eat is blood of humans. I don't know what you guys think about that, but I'm like the more we've looked into this, and I'm starting to like recategorize all things I just said were bull crap. You know what I mean? Throughout history. And now I'm like, maybe vampires are real. And it's just <laughs> like people who have encountered demons and had to have a category to explain yeah. what so, has happened. So here's what I would say. I would say there's a couple things. I'll, I'll tie some Old Testament things together. That'll make people think that I'm really crazy. And then I'll, I'll give you an example of what I think is probably actually going on here. So in Isaiah 34, verse 14, actually I'll read verse 13, it says, it's talking about the Lord judging a nation. In particular, this is Edom. And so in God's judging of Edom, he's going to leave Edom as a wilderness. And in God's judgment, remember that when God judges something, he removes his power, his protection, his presence from that place. He comes and he visits it in judgment and then removes his presence from it. And so what happens, we've been talking about this the whole time, when God's presence is not there, what takes jurisdiction? So in Isaiah 34, which is all about God's judgment on Edom, it says in verse 13, Thorns shall grow over its strongholds, nettles and thistles in its fortresses. It shall be a haunt of jackals and abode of owls. And wild animals shall meet with the hyenas. And wild goats shall cry to his fellow. There the night birds settle and finds herself a resting place. Now, it's interesting because it talks about wild goats. That's actually the word for pan. If uh, anybody who's studied any sort of mythology or demonology, a pan is a sort of half goat, half human. That word there, in fact, the King James actually puts pan there. And so the pans will go there. And then the word that we translate in the ESV as nightbird is actually the word for lilitu, which is uh, the Lilith or the lilitu, the female night demon of Mesopotamia. And so Isaiah is writing this, understanding the local mythology of Mesopotamia. And Lilith was considered to be a night demon who preyed on sleeping children at night. Moderns would say that this is how ancient Mesopotamians explained SIDS, like sudden infant death syndrome, would be that uh, Lilith demons would come to their children at night and suck out all of its blood. There's all kinds of mythology surrounding this. I don't need to get into all of that. But it's just interesting because what a lot of people don't understand because of our modern English translations shield us from some of this is some things that show up in scripture that you don't know are Lilith demons, pans, unicorns, dragons, sea monsters, fawns, fawns, yeah, centaurs. All of these things show up in various places throughout scripture. And yet our modern English translations actually shield us from those supernatural elements of scripture. So all that to say, what is this Lilith or the Lilitu? You can you can look into it. I don't necessarily recommend you just Googling it because there can be some pretty dark stuff. But, you know, stay on Wikipedia or whatever. You'll get some history. But it's Mesopotamian night demon. It's a female who sucked the blood of its victims. And obviously Isaiah, whether he believed this thing to be true or not, was using it in its mythology, in its original context, to talk about what settles in the place where God has brought judgment and pulls out his presence. And so this is one of those places where the mythology of vampires first originates. And actually, the Haunted Cosmos has a great episode on this, so we're not going to do it justice. Go and listen to their episode called The Life is in the Blood. But what's interesting about that is that that's a verse, 
Scripture says the life is in the blood. Recently, Jordan was telling us about some guy who's up on charges now or something like that because he's using his son's, he's basically bloodletting his own son. Think of, uh, uh, what was the biker's name? The uh, the cyclist who got in trouble for dopamine. Uh, yeah, for uh, essentially bloodletting, for using his own blood as performance enhancers, among other things. It's interesting. So this guy is using his son's blood, injecting himself with youthful blood in order to keep himself young. You just hear that and somebody's like, oh, you're crazy. But like scripture tells us the life is in the blood. And so there's something about young people's blood. And then again, why in mythologies around the world is there this common motif of some sort of ancient witch, some sort of old witch? Even think about the Rapunzel. Rapunzel makes it about her hair. But what's the story of Rapunzel? It's about an old witch who kidnaps a young child in order to keep that feed off that child's magic, that child's life force in order to keep her young. And then I would just say, like, if you really want to get conspiratorial here, <laughs> there's a long history of, you can go read uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas by uh, Hunter S. Thompson, and he writes about a common drug that's used among the elitists in Hollywood is adrenochrome, which is literally sucking on the adrenaline gland of a young child who's been induced to panic and fear. So I, I just look at that and I say, okay... What's going on with the myth of vampires? I think that you have something that starts off as demonic, but in the demonic wisdom, uh, knowledge that's then imparted to human beings, what is it that, that human beings seek from demonic entities? Fountain of life, right? They want to stay young. And so I, I think what you have there is you have people who have received demonic knowledge that the life is in the blood and uh, to keep themselves young and youthful prey on the blood of the young. And so I think you have cults throughout history. I think you have just demonized individuals throughout history. I think you have that sort of thing whose actions have perpetuated this myth. So do I think there are actual like undead vampires who you, you get? No, I don't think that. But what I do think is that biblically speaking, there's a precedent for a blood sucking night demon. <laughs> and if the demonic knowledge is that there's life in the blood and uh, that that keeps you young, that seems to be like demonic knowledge that would be passed down to some sort of disgusting uh, occultic cults throughout history. So that's what I think a uh, mm -hmm. vampire is. For when you said uh, blood sucking night demon, for some bizarre reason, the first thing that came to my head was like, her name is Karen. <laughs> I don't know why, but that anyway, last little part. And then we will wrap this episode up. Okay. Why has no one talked about this for the last hundred years? Has there been any writing about this? Why did the Puritans not bring this stuff up? Good question. There's a couple things I would say to that. Number one, I would say because it makes you seem crazy. Like <laughs> Dave was just expressing some concern for us on the number of listeners that we might be losing by spending too much time in a series like this. Honestly, it makes you seem crazy, right? Interestingly, just a real quick side note, you know that the language of conspiracy theory is actually that language, that phrase was actually created by central intelligence bureaus in order to discredit their enemies. So when something would come up and say, oh, the government's doing these sorts of tests in this sort of area, they would say, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. It's a way of dismissive with your language in discrediting somebody's opinions. But anyway, so I think that there's incentive not to talk about this stuff because it's weird and because people think you're crazy. But I think there's another thing, like if you were alive during the time of the Protestant Reformation, a very legitimate criticism of the Protestant Reformation might be, well, why haven't we been talking about this for a few hundred years, right? And the answer is, I think, because God is training his church. 
He is building his church, and part of that is giving it information as it comes into maturity. And as the church comes into maturity, it's ready for greater understanding in various ways. And so I'm not saying that God is now revealing something that he had previously hid, but I think that it is interesting to me, at least, that book like The Forgotten Heavens, essays collected by Doug Wilson, Dr. Michael Heiser, with all of his books and his work on the unseen realm, we talk a lot about Spine of Scripture by Dominic Nontenet, where he's talking about the divine council, Haunted Cosmos, a podcast talking about all this kind of stuff, Blurry Creatures, a little less orthodox, but a podcast about these sorts of things. There does seem to be a reclamation. We talked about the return of the old gods, and though we have some theological problems with that one as well, there does seem to be a resurgence of these sorts of things. So is this a sort of reformation? We're not maybe reclaiming the gospel, but we're reclaiming an aspect of the gospel where God is replacing his disobedient celestial sons with human sons. Christ came to die to bring many sons to glory. I think that's a huge part of the gospel narrative that uh, is, I think, being reclaimed with some of this understanding of the divine council, Nephilim, principalities and powers of darkness, all that kind of stuff. So why didn't other generations write about this stuff? Well, because this is our battle, I think. Their battle was something else. They had battles with reclaiming the gospel. They had battles with understanding the indwelling of the spirit and pneumatology and all that kind of stuff. I think God raises up certain people for the spiritual battles in a time period in which he gives them. And I think this is one of the battles that's going on right now. And I think God's doing something special and unique by reclaiming some of this biblical understanding. I don't say ancient knowledge, that's Gnostic, but reclaiming some biblical knowledge that quite frankly, previous generations, we're going back now hundreds of years, took for granted and understood. It didn't need to be taught because it was understood. And now it's been forgotten in the rise of materialism. Yeah, if there's a hundred battles to be fought, or 100 criminals to be hung, so to speak, we say all the time. Each criminal gets hung in its order, right? So like, that's right. this is just the one that we're on. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, so that's why it's like Luther had a much bigger fight than maybe we do, but like by, by reclaiming justification by faith, you know what I mean? Like, so this is just maybe this time period's battle, one of the battles that we're called to. Yeah. Well, I think it has something to do with the conquest of the gospel and the spread of the kingdom, because yes. you have, these were ancient mythologies, and then there's just this like, this period of human history where Christianity kind of dominated the world. Yeah. Right. So where the Christianity advanced, well, demonic activity went away. So what are we seeing now? Well, the demonic activity has come back right. in the way that it hadn't previously. So the Puritans, they just probably weren't dealing with demons in at, the, same the same way, level, right? in the same way that we are. We're now, no, they're back. So now he's, it seems like God's kind of equipping his people to deal with this yeah. threat that, I mean, I don't know this, but I'm guessing mental health issues were not as high yeah. 150 years ago as they are now. Well, yeah. it seems like those things go hand in hand. Well, yeah. obviously, caveat mental health. Obviously, yep. there are people with real mental health issues, but... Yeah, and actually, I was just going to plug this. So we've mentioned this book a few times, The Forgotten Heavens. It's called Six Essays on Cosmology. It's edited by Doug Wilson, but it has a variety of authors. There's a chapter in it called Satyrs, Lilith, and Lunatics, and it's by Wesley Callahan. And it's interesting because he talks through, obviously, the satyrs, the pans. He goes through the Liliths, which we talked about. But his idea of lunatics, he's talking about those who have been enraged. He's talking about those who have epilepsy. And he links the idea of mental illness with demonization. It's a really interesting read anyway. But I do think this knowledge has been around for a while. But in a materialistic world, we have a tendency to dismiss it. And then secondly, I think there's a greater need for the church to understand these things. Because I think with the abdication of the dominion mandate, I think these demons have been re-given some jurisdiction that they, in previous generations, they did not have. And so we need to be equipped to fight them. Amen. 
Well, that's all for us today. Um, if there's any listeners left next week, we'll see you then. We're doing our best to get rid of them. So, <laughs> um, peace.